0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. I've always been fascinated by the human voice, which experts say is as unique to each person as their fingerprint. In these podcasts, we celebrate the human voice in all its wonderfully diverse forms, young and old, different accents and cultural contexts. Writers sometimes struggle to find their own voice but you can kind of tell when someone is speaking from a place of authenticity and integrity. That's when I most love listening to voices. Thank you for listening. This Humankind special is produced in association with WGBH Boston and the BTS Center and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and grants from the Henry Luce Foundation and the E. Rhodes and Leona B. Carpenter Foundation.
1: Our world has become an ever noisier place. Physically noisy, the noise in cities, the noise in restaurants, the noise all around us. The noise of our own minds, of so many distractions, so many possible inputs.
0: The clamor around and within us, and ways to quiet down so we are available to hear out others. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. With our phones and all the other sound-emitting devices, plus the various noises at home, on the road, at work, the relentless din of modern life can seem deafening. Some relief in the form of quiet time is essential, especially for anyone wishing to get inwardly silent enough to truly listen to others. Best-selling author Joan Borisenko, based in Santa Fe, New Mexico, studies the mind-body connection
1: we need to have a way to carve out some silence in our own lives. And the two things that cross-culturally have been found most important to calm people down, make a little quiet place, is number one, nature, to spend some time in nature whenever possible. And number two, listening to calming music, that those two things Really help. They calm down the nervous system, they calm down the brain, and we each have a different thing that calms us. So, to identify what is it for you that allows your body to relax and your mind to become a little quieter, and to make sure that you spend at least a few minutes a day in that pursuit. In that way, I think, you help to become part of the solution instead of adding to the problem.
0: But for many of us, actually setting aside quiet time can be hard. There are all the constructive uses we could be putting to that time. How often do we simply have nothing left to do? But there may be another factor in why we resist settling into quietude. Reverend John Harrison is a hospital chaplain in El Camino, California.
2: Many people are uncomfortable with silence because they're uncomfortable with themselves. To be in silence means that one is amplifying the voices that are within one's own head. Be they inner critical voices. And I think many people are uncomfortable with that. I think many people are uncomfortable with the unknown. To be in a room with someone who is going through a serious illness or grief or loss, the tendency is to fill up the room with sound because then you have some degree of control over what's going on. And
0: is it better not to have control?
2: I don't know to what extent control is ours. That brings me back to the distinction between being with someone and doing for someone. If the patient or the person that I'm with is uncomfortable with the silence, that's one thing. But if they're content with it, and they're actually happy just to have me there, well, why fill up that precious time and space with useless sounds? Rhetoric that has little meaning That could be the very space that the divine wants to speak, and there's no room.
0: Could be drowning it out. Absolutely. It's easy to feel awkward when silence somehow dawns during a social encounter. It can make us anxious and antsy, unsure of what to do. I find it interesting just to notice the various impulses and thoughts that crop up in my mind at those moments. Anything to avoid just sitting still. Joan Borisenko.
1: And that's why uh, what what are called self-regulation strategies are so important, to be able to learn the simplest technique is to just take a big breath in through your nose till you're really filled with breath and breathe out slowly. That slows the movement of the breath. And that actually stimulates the vagus nerve within the body, the part of your nervous system called rest and digest that makes you peaceful. So we all need these strategies. That's um, that's what meditation is about. It, it helps you in the moment, even though you're not meditating in the moment, because you've had a sense of what it is to be peaceful. Often you follow your breath and meditation as something to focus on and if you do that then when you find yourself going nuts internally you can say to yourself okay going crazy over here gotta take a few breaths gotta take a few breaths gotta let go and that helps but it does take practice
0: Borisenko has been influenced by the late British-born author Taylor Caldwell, who wrote a book entitled The Listener. It tells the story of a simple building with an inscription above the door, the man who listens. He's a mysterious figure behind a closed curtain, who reveals himself only to those who request it. People from different walks of life, many coping with life's travails, come for his compassionate listening a theme that resonated with Joan.
1: I worked in a hospital at that time with people who were really ill.
0: Reading the book helped inspire her to serve patients in a vulnerable position.
1: My experience was that I liked to be able to be there when people were approaching death. And in the beginning, I thought, what do I have to say to them that would give them solace and comfort? And in a short period of time, I realized Taylor Caldwell was right. People just need to be listened to. And I recognized I don't have to say anything at all. I can just greet them and say, here I am. We can sit together, and that's it. And then either people would speak or not speak, but such a sense of peace would pervade the room. And I think that's another misunderstanding about listening. Uh, People often feel, I have to have something smart to say, uh, instead of realizing that, my goodness, just being a safe space for someone is the most important thing.
0: Right, because we sometimes feel like we're inadequate if we haven't provided helpful
1: advice. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, (laughs) we're a culture that is very big on doing and uh, not so big on the joy and the importance of just being.
0: And one of the impediments to just being is the very human tendency to get distracted, which can happen even when we have a sincere intention to listen compassionately to another. We become absorbed in a demanding situation at work or worry over a personal problem and we lose focus. Psychologist Irene Harris with the Minneapolis Veterans Administration Healthcare System.:
3: We are in a culture that values time, values productivity, values work, and especially in healthcare care. We have productivity requirements that we have to meet, and a fair amount of paperwork that always has to be done. Be it electronic or otherwise. Right. And so, yes, the challenge that I often have when I'm going to sit down with a veteran and really focus on that veteran so that I don't find myself thinking about anything except what that veteran is saying and what my training in how to listen and how to facilitate that veteran's own exploration of his her, her experience can be. The other challenge that we have as listeners is to turn off the self-evaluative monitor. Am I doing a good job or not? That little piece that the the Buddhist teachers refer to as monkey mind, where the idea is hopping all around and am I good enough, am I doing this well enough, the sort of imposter phenomenon that affects almost everybody who's ever chosen to get a graduate level education because that sense of I know I needed to achieve to be worth something is part of what drives us to be there. Um, But that piece of worrying about oneself is something that we have to find a way to turn off and make this interaction, not about what a great therapist I am, but to make this interaction about the inherent spiritual value and dignity and worth of the person who is coming to us for help.
0: And for caring professionals, that, of course, is the essential focus, service to the person in need. But it's so easy for our attention to get diverted, especially in this age of instant gratification devices, which are practically engineered to play into our modern malady of attention deficit and all manner of other concerns that could sidetrack us. But psychiatrist James Gordon in Washington says for professional listeners, that's the challenge.
4: Well, if you're distracted, you're not doing your job. So the point is, if you find your mind wandering, this is where meditation once again becomes so important. If you find yourself being distracted, you take a couple deep breaths, and you come back and be present again. And distraction may happen. Now, distraction will either tell you that there's something going on with you and you need to remedy that, or sometimes it tells you somebody is saying the same thing for the 20th or 30th time and you need to do something else because people get stuck like a, or, you know, like a needle in the groove of one of those old time vinyl records and they keep going over the same thing over and over again and it's not serving them. So at that point, that's a signal come back and tune in a little more closely and see what might be appropriate in this moment and also to follow certain focusing practices such as meditation. Well, it just it, it's all about meditation. I mean the the idea is that the, the, what we call meditation, these are just techniques. They're thought we we worship that we worship or to use that old-timey word fetishize these techniques oh it's the technique it's this this. the techniques are just means to an end the zen Buddhists talk about fingers pointing at the moon each meditation technique is just another finger pointing at the moon the idea of all these techniques as far as I'm concerned and all the traditions is to live your life in this state of relaxed moment-to-moment awareness so every encounter is an opportunity for me to move into that meditative state, and if I'm not, if I'm being distracted, come back, buddy, be present, and not to beat yourself up for having been distracted. Right. I mean, that's that's also another, you know, uh, another way of avoiding being present is beating yourself up. One blow is enough, and then come back.
0: Exploring the practice of listening with professional caregivers who listen for a living, you could say, who strive to give their undivided attention to those they serve. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. To learn more and to obtain an audio download or CD of this segment entitled Listeners, please visit humanmedia.org. So far, we've examined how a person, whether as a professional listener or just a friend, can settle in and really tune in to another human being. But what would it mean to listen to oneself? Joan Borisenko, author of Minding the Body, Mending the Mind, writes about brain science and the mind-body connection.
1: I would say that mindfulness is the act of listening to oneself. Explain. And that is to be able to sit quietly and develop what, what's actually, the technical phrase is meta-awareness. And that is to be able to listen to your own thoughts, to be conscious of your own thoughts. So let me give you an example of that, David. If you go to a movie you know how it is if it's a scary movie if you're really fused with the movie you get scared and react but maybe at some point you take a breath and you say oh wait that's just a movie and then you're not so reactive well we can do the same thing with our thoughts people we all believe the stories that we tell ourselves (laughs) and sometimes they're pretty scary stories And and sometimes
0: they're very distorted.
1: They're very distorted. Like we're our own personal terrorists, what goes on in terms of the fearful mind and the anxious mind. And there sure is a lot of fear and anxiety in the world today. But if we're fused with it, we're just reacting, our whole body-mind system. But if we can say, but wait, I'm going to take a breath and just notice what... What am I thinking? How does it affect my body? And is it really true? Can I back up from that? It's just a story that I'm telling myself. Or even if you're really afraid to say, well, I feel the feelings of fear in my body. And if you allow yourself to just feel what is, really listen to yourself, notice what is, What happens is it loses some of its grip on you. Pain gets less. Anxiety gets less. And that's all uh, about listening to yourself. You also have choice. Let's say I'm listening to myself. I'm telling myself a story. Nobody loves me. I'm going to go eat worms. That's the commonest story where people think, oh, nobody likes me. I'm going to be abandoned.
0: And then people decide on a diet of worms?
1: That's right. <laughs> it's not good for the health. <laughs> but if if you notice that like, ah, oh, here it is. There's the inner critic. It's doing its thing again. And just label it. Do you know that actually has an effect of calming down the fear center of the brain. It calms down the amygdala when you can simply name what's happening. And then you realize wait a minute, no one is rejecting me at this moment. I'm just sitting here, and that's just a story that I tell myself. And to have a choice in how to feel or how to behave, before we have choice, we have to have awareness. We have to notice what's going on in there, and that's what self-listening is all about. It gives us awareness and opens up choice.
0: That's a very powerful statement. Before we have choice, we need self-awareness. Because otherwise, we're kind of being hijacked by our feelings?
1: We're hijacked. We're fused with our emotions. We're fused with our thoughts. We mistake them for reality. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's amazing, the stories that we tell ourselves. Uh, very unpleasant ones. I'm fascinated by the effect of narrative on our health, and on our emotional well-being, because it's enormous.
0: It's pretty easy to lose track of the stories we tell ourselves. We might like to play the victim, or blow things way out of proportion, or blame others when the fault is our own. And these stories are often part of a pattern, a kind of anthology of false narratives we recite to ourselves, so it can become a dreamscape, and one that can harm us. Joan Borisenko, who today practices as a spiritual director, helps people learn and grow into their spiritual lives.
1: I always ask people in the beginning of a session, would you like to pray? And if so, should we pray together? Would you like to pray by yourself? And then we go into silence. And we stay in silence until whoever it is that I'm with is ready to break the silence and begin the session. So we're, we're trying to drop into that holy listening where not only are we present to each other, but we feel the presence of a third, something larger that's holding us.
0: So are you consciously consulting, asking that source for guidance in the process of your quest to be of help to absolutely the person
1: absolutely and often you know my own prayer which i say before we get on the session is for that divine presence to come and bring us both into its presence so that we can be guided so that we can be awake together so that we can follow the trail of breadcrumbs (laughs) back to our true self, our authentic self, our heart, uh, and know what it is that we're being led to next on our journey. So I always think, God leaves a trail of breadcrumbs. And Rosemary Doherty, the nun who was my spiritual director for a time, said, What you have to do is follow the vector of love. I love that. The vector of love. Where is love moving in your life? Pay attention to that. And, you know, normally we pay attention to where the vector of fear is leading in our life. Because we're wired for that. The brain does that.
0: So how can we flip that from following the vector of fear? to following the vector of
4: love.
1: We have to become aware. We have to wake up. It's about intention and attention. And start to look for the good.
0: Whether in the role of a caring friend or loved one, or a professional, Many people feel the help they render is not entirely of their own making. Instead, they're serving some higher purpose and drawing strength from that. And in difficult caregiving situations, do I keep intervening or step back? Do I reveal a blunt truth or be more subtle? Staying aligned with that sense of purpose can shed light on appropriate ways to proceed.
4: I know that when I'm baffled, I need to surrender, and I'm surrendering to the universe, to God, to surrendering, giving up my expectations, my beliefs, my roles, and just being present. So it's really a question of letting go. And, you know, I know in AA they talk about letting go, letting God. That's, that's not bad. Uh, I, I don't know that I would always call it—occasionally I mean, I've called it God, but I sometimes say just whatever guidance is available, whether it's coming from my own intuition, my own imagination, uh, my unconscious, the collective unconscious, the universe, God, the Great Spirit, whoever or whatever it is, I want to be open to it. And so we, I do practices like guided imagery— where I ask my wise guide, whoever or whatever that might be, and it's different. I mean, when when a dragonfly appears, is it God? Perhaps. Perhaps it's a, a manifestation in my unconscious. Perhaps it's God appearing to me in that form. And I've learned to pay attention to whatever form it appears in, to not have any preconceptions about who or what I'm asking.
0: Do you feel that you have a a guide to whom there is some kind of direct access? I have many guides
4: who appear. Usually, you know, when I open myself and I ask them to come, they, they appear and they answer my questions. And sometimes they sound like... Uh, uh, I'm. I'm. Uh, grew up in New York, and I'm. I'm Jewish, and I used to go to Jewish delicatessens on the Lower East Side. And sometimes they're like. They sound like one of the waiters and Ratners, who knows exactly what I should be eating, even though I may have come in wanting such and wanting, I don't know, wanting uh, matzo ball soup. He's like, he you want a corned beef sandwich, <laughs> and they have that kind of edge to them. Sometimes they're very compassionate. The guy it is. Sometimes the guide will just tell me to relax and take a few deep breaths and ask again. So I've learned to trust whoever or whatever it is who comes and not to worry about, about naming it, just to allow myself to be available to what's beyond my uh, mere intellect. But there is some kind of source of wisdom. There is something. There's something more than me. All you, all you need to do is stand in a hurricane to understand that there's something more. You know, I'll tell you, recently we've been working with the Lakota people on Pine Ridge Reservation.
0: Native, and they, Native
4: Americans. in South Dakota, Native Americans. and they, And we've been helpful to them dealing with issues of suicide and depression, and they've been very helpful to me and to all of our team in helping us to reconnect with the earth and the wisdom of nature and the, the, the teachings that come from the earth and the sky and the wind and the water and the four directions. So it's just all these different ways of accessing this uh, sort of colossal but also intimate and perennial wisdom. And that's, for me it has different names and different appearances at different times, different places. and It's helpful, which is the most important thing. You know, it's, you know, William James spoke of life-affirming. It's life-affirming for
0: me. And there are other subtle benefits from the practice of listening to people in need as a compassionate companion or as a professional caregiver.
2: Often those who we provide care to really are—they serve to be a mirror, a reflection of
0: ourselves. John Harrison, the chaplain at El Camino Hospital in Northern
2: California. There's always a danger in seeing too much of oneself in another, and yet if one is able to listen attentively to another as they share their concerns, their fears, their frustrations, their joys, their hurts, their pains, and then untangle these Issues, like one would untangle a ball of thread that's just a confusion. As your active participant in this, you often get to see one of your own threads in that ball. Answers to questions that one holds for themselves can be found in the experiences of others.
0: I find this over and over and over.
2: Mm.
0: That something I'm going through, someone else will describe to me. And I marvel at that. Wow, look at the synchronicity of that. What were the odds of that? Mm-hmm. And then I realize that in my reaction to their situation, I'm
2: clarifying my reaction to my own situation. That's it. And I don't believe that any of us are meant to be in isolation about community. Which brings us full circle in the experience
0: of open-hearted listening to be of service to someone in need. to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Doug Sugartz. Editorial assistance from Andrew Andresco, Ken Rogers, Maggie Mantis, Kathy Graham, and David Cruz. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Connie Goldman and to Tony Buck program is presented by Human Media in association with the BTS Center.
3: You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This segment,
0: entitled Listeners, is Humankind Program number 267.
3: The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio.